This is Reasons to be Mindful, a podcast about everyday people who practice some form of mindfulness or meditation to make life easier and more enjoyable. I'm your host, Jen Hill, founder of Right Brain Liaisons, and I'm interested in how people apply different techniques and practices to keep their mind fit, healthy, and better able to deal with the unavoidable challenges of being human. Today on the podcast, we're talking with Associate Professor Tarek Samoa. Tarek is a colorectal surgeon and Associate Professor of Surgery at the Royal Adelaide Hospital and the University of Adelaide. As well as his clinical and surgical work, Tarek is also an active researcher with a specific interest in improving patient outcomes after bowel surgery. I arranged to speak with Tarek to ask him about his use of visualization prior to performing surgery. Essentially, the human brain and body do not know the difference between real and imagined experience. And so visualization and mental rehearsal are powerful tools used by professionals in many fields to enhance performance by increasing relaxation, focus, learning and skill development, while also reducing stress. Hello, Tarek. Welcome to Reasons to be Mindful. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me, Jen. It's good to be here. Tarek, you use visualization exercises with your work. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. In fact, I use them all the time. Um, I haven't had any formal training in it. It's just something I sort of developed naturally uh, during the course of surgical training. Um, As you can imagine, uh, the the actual operative side of my life, which is where I'm actually scrubbed doing the surgery, uh, can be quite high stakes at times and can be very stressful. Um, And one of the ways that I've developed over the years of trying to mitigate that is to kind of uh, try and expect the unexpected or plan in my mind how I think it's going to go. And I, like I said, I, I don't think, I don't think I started doing that deliberately. I think it just sort of started happening. Um, and, but I became more conscious of, of the fact that it was helping. Uh, and so it became more deliberate as time went on. Um, so typically for something like an operation, particularly, you know, as you get more advanced in surgery, the operations tend to become more and more complex that you can handle. And so, um, you know, at the, at the moment where I am in my career, I probably don't visualize the more simple operations anymore. Um, I don't need to, but, you know, may perhaps once a month or once every two months, there might be quite a complicated operation that's about to happen. And I find myself running through the steps in my head and visualizing uh, how it's going to go. There's sort of two elements to that. The first element is trying to, you know, just get, go through step by step to try and, you know, imagine how it would go um, so that I don't miss any steps. Uh, but also there's some positive reinforcement in that in the sense that, you know, this is in my mind, I'm imagining what it would be like if, if, if it goes perfectly. And, um, and that's what I'm trying to aim to reinforce to myself is this is the goal is for it to go in this particular direction. But at the same time, I, once I've completed that, I start thinking about what, what could go wrong and at which parts of the operation. And the, the reason that's important is one, it allows you to be mindful of it at that particular step when you're there, uh, but also to communicate better with the team to let them know that, you know, at this point in the operation, some, this could go wrong. So get ready for that. But also, if something does go wrong, then it's already been practiced, sort of virtually practiced. And so it's not as stressful because I've seen it before. 
And so, um, so that's really how, how, it, in, how it helps me a lot. And it, I think it does have an extremely positive impact on how the operation actually goes. It's obviously been used, visualization that is, and, and what's also referred to as mental rehearsal, been used very successfully with uh, professional athletes. It sounds like it, it gives you a sense of confidence when you're working in the moment there, maybe some, some presence and mindfulness, ability to stay focused. But then as you say, that sort of resilience, that resource that if things don't go perfectly, that, that you're not thrown. Yeah. So initially, I think I, I used to use it initially before I became deliberate about it as a way to cope with the stress of the operation. But I think now I use it as a tool that make that I believe improves the performance during the operation. So the, the athlete thing is, um, is probably similar in the sense that there's a short burst of, you know, high intensity activity um, and that you want to prepare for that, you know, mentally. And I think that's how it works. Um, but there's, there's, there are practical benefits as well in the sense that the communication aspect, I think, sometimes you'll find a lot of surgeons uh, tend to go quiet when things aren't going well during the operation. Uh, and that's because it's stressful and they're trying to focus. But it has a deleterious effect in the sense that the people around them don't know what's happening. So the anesthetist doesn't know what's happening. The nurses don't know what's happening. They just know something's not right, but they don't necessarily know how they can help with that. And so I think that it improves the communication during the procedure as well as the performance and the mental state and stability during the procedure. Do you know if other surgeons use this technique? I'm sure they do. Um, I think there have been a couple of papers published about mindfulness in surgery specifically. And I think that's because surgery is just a high stress profession. And so, you know, anything we can use to help us get through that is, is you know, deserves some attention. I'm not sure how many people do it deliberately or sort of by chance. I really don't know any information on that. But I suspect it's much more commonly used than people realize because like how I started doing it, um, I suspect a lot of surgeons do it without knowing that they're actually doing it. Yep. So, you know, just before they go to bed, before a big operation, I suspect a lot of surgeons visualize what's going on. They're just not necessarily doing it on purpose. Just shifting focus to your patients, either in your clinical practice or your research work, are you interested in how, how the mind and psychological health and well-being mindset affects your patients? I'm very interested in it, um, and it's a very underexplored area in terms of you know what positive impacts it could have on you know measurable outcomes like uh, you know wound healing and things, but also a little bit harder to measure outcomes, which is things like patient satisfaction and patient reported outcomes. Um, when I was doing my research earlier in my training, I was involved in a trial where we used cognitive behavioral therapy, and we we randomized patients into getting the cognitive behavioral therapy or not getting it and then we measured their wound healing like right. literally how much collagen gets deposited in their wounds and uh, it was a positive study so in other words you know the cognitive behavioral therapy type intervention had a physical impact on how quickly their wounds healed up uh, but more interesting to me now is you know is the, the most vital thing which is rather than the hard outcomes which doctors like to measure the softer outcomes that, that matter more to patients. You know, how happy are they with their choice to undergo an operation or their recovery from the operation or whatever they derived from the operation in terms of benefit? Uh, because sometimes we, there's a bit of a disconnect there where surgery can go very well and the, the medical outcome has been achieved, but the patients aren't happy and vice versa. 
when things go very badly, but patients seem to be able to cope with it very well and seem to be you know, still satisfied with their decision to have, to have undergone the operation that went badly. That's very interesting to me. And I don't think we have any information as to um, how visualization and meditation can aid one way or another. Uh, I think it would be interesting to find out though. For me, what would be more interesting is visualizing things like pain. So how yep. much pain they're going to be in after the surgery, preparing for that, but also what they expect the recovery to be like. You know, which, which day am I going to be eating yep. without vomiting? Which day am I going to be walking around? And whether that preparedness actually impacts what happens in the real world in terms of the recovery would be very interesting. Because often, anecdotally, patients that are unprepared in terms of, you know, perhaps not clear about what the surgery involves or have difficulty understanding it tend to do worse than patients who are very motivated and think they're going to do very well. And they, they tend to do well. There are some negative things which tend to improve outcome as well. For example, I find that people who are very heavy smokers, while they have worse medical outcomes, their motivation to leave hospital so they can start smoking again actually improves their recovery. Isn't that interesting? And you'll hear that sort of, yeah, it is. So there obviously is some element of will involved in the rate of recovery mm-hmm. um, and whether being prepared beforehand uh, would modify that. It would be very interesting to find out. You're listening to Reasons to be Mindful, a podcast for people interested in bringing more mindfulness, i.e. presence, into daily life. There's many of the view that that the bowel and the gut is one of the first places where we see symptoms of stress. Do you see a link between chronic stress and, and bowel disease? There's definitely a link. I mean, unquestionably, there's a link. And the link is thought to be due to something called the vagus nerve. So most of the bowels, the sensory information from the bowels is generally not consciously appreciated because the sensory nerves that leave the bowel don't go to the part of the brain that allows us to perceive things. And that's probably by design because it would be very distracting if you, like say, we're doing this interview and we could feel our bowels moving around. (laughs) Uh, It would be an unnecessary and very difficult thing to cope with. And so it's shut off. The physical appreciation of what the bowel is doing is deliberately shut off. That's not to say that your brain isn't noticing what's going on. In fact, it has some element of control and some element of sensation, but it's just not conscious sensation. And that's transmitted through the vagus nerve. And that goes to the brainstem, the primitive part of the brain that has very little to do with your conscious experience. And so it's not surprising that when you're stressed or when something's going wrong, that some of that that feedback mechanism can be uh, thrown off. I mean, a very stark example, which might be a little bit gross, but it's when people get highly stressed, they lose control of their bowels. That's one of the things that happens. But also things like vomiting, the butterflies in your stomach, that you feel before you're about to do a major interview or something like that. All of those probably have their root cause in the sensation that your bowel is giving your brain and that your brain is then feeding back. It's just not easy to perceive that on a day-to-day basis, but there's no question that there's a link there. The other way we know that there's a link is if you do an operation on someone's bowel, but you do an equivalent size operation on another part of their body, you know, say you remove their leg, which is a terrible thing to say, but it is an operation that's done. You know, that's quite a big operation. But the impact in terms of the recovery seems to be much greater when you touch someone's bowel, regardless of the actual size of the damage that's been done. Wow. 
And people have been known to get quite depressed after a bowel operation, even though they can't really feel that bit of the bowel that's been removed. But there's an incidence of major depression after bowel surgery. And the theory is that it's there's the same thing at play, that it, right. except it's in reverse. The bowel's been injured, and therefore uh, the stress happens as a result, the, the emotional stress. It's a very poorly understood area, but we're discovering more and more about it all the time. And there, there is no question, though, that it's very intimately connected. The amount of nerve fibers that leave the bowel to the brain is almost as high as the number of brain fibers in the spinal cord, which control the arms and legs. And so, you know, undoubtedly, there's a lot of information being transmitted. It's just that because we don't feel it all the time, we, we haven't sort of studied it until recently. Have you used the visualization technique in any other area of your life? Yeah, so I do. A, I mean, I do a fair bit of public speaking. I mean, nowadays it's sort of virtual public speaking uh, because of the COVID thing. But I definitely practice the talks in my head. When I write a talk, usually in our world it's PowerPoint presentations, and we have sort of slides and we talk on the slides. I do find myself uh, visualizing that experience before it happens, and that helps me. It's a sort of a way of practicing the talk without actually needing to have an audience. So I, I use that quite a lot there. And then uh, just in terms of daily communication, you know, particularly if there's a difficult concept that I'm trying to explain or a stressful situation I'm trying to diffuse that I expect is going to come up, I tend to use visualization to help with that. What would you say to somebody who says that visualization is a bit too alternative for them? I really don't think it's alternative at all. I think a lot of people use it, but they use it unintentionally. And I think it's one of those things where if perhaps if you convert something which you're doing unintentionally anyway into something a little bit more deliberate, that you can use it more effectively. You know, and, um, and that's what I ended up doing, but I just didn't, again, didn't mean it to happen that way. But I noticed that when I did visualize an operation, things tended to go better and, they tend to, and, and if they didn't, I would be less stressed if they happened because uh, it felt practiced. And so eventually I started doing it deliberately, but um, I didn't start off that way. So I think people who say that are probably still haven't switched over to the deliberate part of the equation and they're still on the unintentional part. I find it very hard to believe that any functional human being wouldn't be doing it because I think it's just a normal part of life. It's just, I mean, sometimes we're guilty of calling it certain names that make it sound alternative, but in reality, you know, it's just, that's just terminology. And so I think people need to understand that they're doing, they're probably doing it anyway. And so, you know, it's just a matter of training to do it a little bit more deliberately and more effectively, um, which is like most things in life, you know? Um, and so I think I would say to them, you know, don't worry about the terminology. Just think about, have you ever practiced a situation in your head? And if you have, then that's what you're doing, yeah. <laughs> you know? So um, maybe just, and, and if it's, you find it useful, then do it more often and get some training and how to do it properly. In the current state that we're in with coronavirus and everything else that's going on, I do believe that there's probably quite a big role for just general mindfulness and visualization to help cope with the stress that's resulted from a, quite a sudden change in the way we live our lives. And so more so than surgery, I think just in general day-to-day -day activity, I think it's probably worthwhile pursuing those sorts of techniques. So thank you for the work that you do in that regard. Thank you, Tarek. Is there anything in particular that you're working on that you'd like to mention? 
Um, not specifically. We have so many different projects going at the moment. Uh, most of them are at the Royal Adelaide Hospital, and some of them are also at St. Andrew's Hospital. We are involved in a whole bunch of international trials. And I guess the only thing I would like to say is if, if there is a patient listening to this to say thank you for participating, you know, the whole idea is to try and improve our outcomes uh, for the fairly major surgery that we do. We do have a website if anybody wants to actually look at specifics of project, but it's uh, colorectalresearch.org. Um, so that's the Royal Adelaide Colorectal website for research. Um, and all the details can be found there if anybody's interested. Thank you very much, Tarek. That was fantastic. No Thank you. Good luck with everything yes. that you're doing. Cheers. You too. A huge thanks to Tarek for his time, for sharing his knowledge, and for the work he does for patients. You can find links to guided visualization exercises for relaxation and performance in the podcast show notes along with links to Tarek's research and other links from today's episode. Please note this podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice. Always see your doctor or a medical professional with questions regarding your health and well-being. Next week, we'll be chatting with Natalie Michels, CEO and long-term meditator, about her meditation practice and how it helps her in work and life. A huge thank you for subscribing, rating and reviewing the podcast. Thanks for listening. Have a great week and bye for now.